What's up, guys? So, hey, everyone, we are talking about Stephen Wolfram's um, physics tour, our path towards the physical theory um, of everything. Theory of everything, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is one that should have been is kind of overdue. It you is. know, it came out, you know, what a few months ago. Beginning of quarantine, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere around there. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So we just talked about you know a little bit about what it is, you know, about Stephen Wolfram's background. We got a, lot, a little sidetracked, talked about computing, you know, actually yeah. what are computers, and uh, we brought it around again, talking about the general relativity, special relativity aspect of the theory at the end. Yeah. And, uh, and then yeah. we uh, sprinkle in our thoughts, too. Of, I, I guess this is kind of like a first impression of sorts, right, of the yeah. theory, I would say. like Because we kind of just went into it and just kind of like did like a quick little dive into some of the work. So Absolutely. Our general first impressions. It's not like a deep dive where we're like... Mm. Yeah, so if any of you experts out there, you might want to skip this one. <laughs> <laughs> or but, criticize uh, or like, you yeah. know, leave comments and stuff or hit us up on our Twitter. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. So, yes, of course, guys. So make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, and then check us out at Twitter. That's um, Eigenbros on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, Eigenbros on Instagram. We have Eigenbros2 on TikTok. And then also Eigenbros.com. And we'll see you guys in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Three, two, because you got a countdown, bro. Three, two, one. Welcome, everybody, to What's Shadow, up? to the Shadow Realm. <laughs> Ooh, the Shadow Realm. Yeah, Why? Is yeah, this, this dark? This is because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, Hopefully uh, we can color correct that in the uh, post. Oh, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying the Shadow Realm because uh, look at me. I'm disheveled. Uh, <laughs> I got, I'm got. i living the grad student life right now. <laughs> Still look um, probably better than me, so it's okay. No, nah, we both got gray shirts. I, that's how you know somebody's going through some shit. Like, we're just, gray shirts. We're just wearing gray we're wearing gray how we feel inside you uh-huh. know what I'm saying <laughs> it's a rainy dreary day yeah rainy dreary day we uh you know we were reading some uh some stuff by Wolfram and it made us even more depressed because there's not a good enough theory out there to describe the world <laughs> in any meaningful way no I'm just kidding um no you actually put it on actually uh a couple listeners put it on our radar to kind of just just kind of just do this, right? Yeah, yeah. So some people asked us if we can do a review on the Wolfram yeah. physics project. And I, you know, ever since even when Wolfram came out with it, I thought that'd be a good idea. But yeah. of course, I just was dreading it because I knew I'd have to learn a bunch of shit that I didn't know <laughs> anything about because Wolfram's background is, well, he's, he's he, actually, it's interesting, his background's particle physics, but, yeah. you know, he's generally seen as like a computer science guy now. Yeah, nowadays yeah. in many ways so i was like uh computational well true he a computer science guy right it was not even comp- computational physics in any way right i guess you could say computational bit because i mean for those of uh, those of you not familiar stephen wolfram is the inventor of wolfram alpha mm-hmm. and mathematica and you know that's got some high level um computer science uh i don't know what you would even call it algorithms or something mm-hmm. um involved in it in order to be able to do you know really intense calculations i mean physicists engineers mathematicians we all use wolfram alpha math slash mathematica to do yeah. research so it's a big it's a big big um undertaking that wolfram you know did to make it possible yeah, yeah i remember in undergrad did you where were you when you heard first heard about wolfram alpha <laughs> I was definitely one of the first people to know about it, for sure. Yeah, a couple, um, a couple of my friends, too. We were, like, in Cal 2 or something, and we were like, dude, you know you can just check this integral with Wolfram mm-hmm. Alpha? And I was like, Wolfram Alpha? What the hell is yeah. that? And like, <laughs> and then you just, like, 
you plug it in, you plug in your integral, and then it shoots out a, even if it's definite or indefinite, you just throw it right. in there, and it just cranks out a, a, res, a response. And even yeah. gives you, like, nice little, like, uh, uh, like alternate forms and stuff. It's mm-hmm. really nice. Um, but, yeah, that's just, that's, this is probably early 2010, maybe, 2011. Yeah, I guess it was about there, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember back in the days when it used to actually tell you the steps of the problem still. Oh, yeah. Pay. Remember when that? When it was free, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was so sad when he took that feature uh, behind a paywall. Same. Unless you were smart like me and paid for the app early on, mm. and now you just have the... Oh, you're grandfathered in. I'm grandfathered in. Yeah. See, I got the app when it was free on the Amazon store, yeah. but then now they're making me try to log in and stuff, and I can't use it anymore. So I'm like, damn it. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Yeah. Yeah, I know. They, that's <laughs> how they get you, though. But I bought I bought the Android one, and then um, I've been uh, seeing the steps ever since. There you go. <laughs> Uh, anyway, uh, shout out to Wolfram, uh, for making, yeah. um, calculus easier to get through. Um, mm-hmm. but that's not, that's not the only thing. That's not his like biggest contribution. I think, I think if, if, if this theory is expanded on more and then it, it becomes more testable in some way, you know, I think, I think this would be probably his, his biggest achievement. I think he wants it to be right. Yeah, I would imagine so, right? Because it's kind of a, it's kind of a, well, I don't know if it's necessarily a callback, but at least it's coming full circle back to his original degree, which is particle physics. Yeah. Or I guess that's his PhDs in particle physics. I'm not sure what he got. You got his PhD? Yeah. Physics? He got uh, his PhD in Caltech in physics. Feynman was one of his um, committee guys. Wow. Yeah, I remember an interesting anecdote from a while back. I'm not sure exactly how it went, but it was something where Stephen Wolfram asked, asked um, Feynman what he thought about him making Wolfram Alpha before when it was just an idea in his thought in his head. And Feynman was like, uh, "Guys like us aren't meant to be making things like that. We're thinkers." <laughs> and Wolfram kind of just ignored his advice and invented <laughs> Mathematica <laughs> later on. There I was you like, go. Oh, Feynman was a um, non-believer. Yeah, he was like, nah, it's all good. Yeah. He's like, just think about it. Somebody will make it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Which is kind of like the position I think I would love to have in life. Just, I'll think about it. Someone someone will make it. That's such a, that's such a, I mean, you really, yeah. Shout out to Feynman. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, but yeah, did you actually, I, I read a little bit of <clears throat> some stuff that's out there. Um I kind of wanted to. Well, actually, no. Let's just get into his background. Actually, so he got sure he got his 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 bachelor's in physics, right? I don't remember. I just I remember think his so. PhD was in Caltech. But his PhD was in Caltech. Okay, so I he's know he th- went to another college when he was younger and um, basically said lectures are bullshit. And <laughs> <laughs> it said something about him having no degree at Eton College. Um, he might. I don't know what what he did, but I think he was kind of one of these child prodigies. Since his Wikipedia basically said that he wrote three books on particle physics by the age of fourteen or something, mm. so watched it all like in crayon or something. <laughs> like, it wasn't even like that deep. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I always take those 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 callings as a grain of salt because yeah. it's like you get to rewrite history when you're the hero. Yeah, you know of what course. I mean. <laughs> yeah, I was cool too back then. <laughs> and yeah, who knows how in depth they were but still pretty impressive if he even wrote a page on particle physics at 14 yeah. years old yeah 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 nowadays it's like can you imagine in the future when like say you're, you're somebody famous you just it's like yeah he wrote two pages of wikipedia articles 
on so and so on information theory or something but uh but no nah, that's that's cool i mean shout out to him he's uh he's i mean he's obviously a very intelligent guy um to yeah. have this idea but i i kind of wanted to dissect a little bit of um <clears throat> God, these flies are going to get in the I podcast. Know. His proposal. <laughs> Bastards. Sorry, go ahead. His proposal on um, on just like finding the theory of everything. Because he's had multiple times to like go on multiple podcasts and talk about his theory and then kind of... Yeah, and let's also make it real clear for the audience. It's not... he is He's not proposed a theory of everything. He's proposed a pathway towards discovering the theory of everything. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, some of you might be like, oh, that sounds like bullshit. Like, what does that yeah. mean? <laughs> yeah. But it's basically he, he so Wolfram, as you as you probably know one, but not sure about the audience, he's worked with like cellular, cellular automaton. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what he's known, one of the other things he's known for. Um, another guy who you might recognize that is deep into that world was um, John Conway. I believe he just died of coronavirus. Oh, um, shit. But John Conway was the guy who invented Conway's Game of Life. And basically what it was, you can just imagine, well, I guess let's, let's, let, let me try to define it a little bit. So it's kind of hard to, to define, but if you just imagine, let's say a spreadsheet like Excel. Excel, you know, as you know, is divided up into rows and columns, and they literally are called cells, each of those cells that makes up, you know, the, 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 row, the row and the col- columns intersection. Mm-hmm. Let's just say you could turn one of those cells either one or zero, black or white. Let's say black or white. And cellular automata, automata are given certain rules. So let's say if you had a row of cells, of three cells, mm-hmm. and you had a row of black, white, black. Okay, well, hold on. Pause. Yeah. I, don't, I don't like you using the word black. I want you to use the word uh, cells of color. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's 2020 for Christ's sake. Come on. <laughs> Sorry, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> no, so keep going. So yeah, so we have cells of color, white, and then <laughs> it reminds me of all these corrections that they're making right now. Of, oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> trudging, trying master in domain. But anyway, <laughs> anyway, this is another conversation. Uh, so yeah, so you have alternating cells like a checkerboard almost, like yeah. black, white. Okay, sure, but let's just say three cells. Okay, so black, white, black. Mm. So let's just give it the rule in our program mm-hmm. that if we have a cell, a row of black, white, black mm-hmm. in a row, then we change it to white, black, white. Mm-hmm. So with cellular automata, you can have some kind of space where you just randomly assign black and white to the whole spreadsheet. And then every time you see a black, a black white, black, you change those into white, black, white. Mm-hmm. And then from that, all of these interactions will happen and you have this kind of automated process over time where it's a complex complexity can arise from these simple rules. Yeah. That's just an example I made up off the spot. I don't know if that would actually lead to anything, but certain things arise from those um, simple rules. Yes. And, you know, this is kind of the, the basis as well of Wolfram's whole um, computational theory is his physics project here. And um, except he uses something called hypergraphs in his theory. So it's still based on that very simple concept, just like in cellular, cellular automata. That's such a hard thing to say. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but um, instead, it's just a different kind of architecture that he's used. Yeah, yeah. I actually thought it was kind of interesting because some of the images that, that are generated after these number of iterations from these basic set of rules mm-hmm. uh, produce stuff that look 
like like neural networks almost, or they look, you know what I mean? Like he has a famous image of a hypergraph. Oh, you mean where, from his theory? Yeah, his yeah, theory. yeah, yeah. That yeah. looks kind of like a, a like a almost like a network of sometimes of what you see when when you have when you map the the brain and stuff. Yeah, you're kind of right. I didn't even think about that. But yeah, yeah very true because it's like these nodes, and they almost look like the lines that connect them are like axons. Exactly. Ac- yeah. Axons. Yeah, is it axons. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I get I get what you mean. It's really interesting stuff. I I can definitely. I think the biggest leap here is connecting. I, well, I guess it's not so big. Once I read it, once I was reading a little bit about what uh, what he was doing, I said, okay, maybe this is maybe there's there's something to this, you know? Yeah, I like, kinda, it applied to physics. I mean, yeah, I kind of have the same thought. Um, my my thought is still kind of in the realm of I'm not really sure if this is really a pathway towards the theory of everything. Mm. Um, but it's definitely something cool to look at that I think we can learn a lot from. And it yields things that have similarities to mm. what we do observe in our universe, but the same kind of mathematical structures, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Although I got to say, um, I'm not sure if this structure that Wolfram has made, if you would come to those conclusions, if you already didn't know things about special relativity or quantum mechanics, let's say, because this theory is supposed to yield um, quantum mechanics, special relativity, you know, Einstein's uh, energy equals MC squared equation, all from like, um, all from this uh, hypergraph structure. Um, I'm not sure it would be so clear if you didn't already know of quantum mechanics and general relativity, special relativity and all that. Right. Yeah, like I, cause like basically what you're saying is, does this theory have predictive power? Because you're saying that it's almost like you're he's subscribing like, oh, by the way, like these little because he did this. I was trying to read the the part where he's talking about quantum mechanics. Yeah, this is the part where I was. This is so before the podcast was starting, yeah. I was reading this just to try to get my stuff straight. Yeah, and the quantum mechanics one, I just. It's bad. It's <laughs> I it's, can't get it. It I is bad. It. it is bad. There's a whole paper written by John. I think I forget his name. Um, but we'll probably put up a picture of it. Uh, <clears throat> and sorry, bad meaning like I just don't know what the fuck is oh, going on. I took it as I really like understand it. I took it. I took it as a. I I mean, there's been criticism though for sure of that one specifically. Okay. Um, or because the thing about the quantum structure, mm-hmm. so. Just to preface, the, one of these hypergraphs, um, one of these structures, um, actually is supposed to yield quantum mechanics. Mm-hmm. But in Wolfram's structure, um, basically, the um, I guess the important aspects of it is that you actually have a, de- a singular universe, I guess, in some sense, uh, like a deterministic universe. Right. And each of those branches... Um, shit. Because he talks about like really. timelines. He talks about he talks about like the histories of of moments and and like how you're sort of like the superposition. It, it, it sort of it's taking the the interpretation of uh, almost like it, it's not like many worlds because many worlds does talk about like converging, like uh, not converging, um, diverging, diverging. Uh, that was my initial thought when I saw it mm-hmm. because. The thing is, there's this aspect in his theory that seems to be very a big backbone to his theory. It's mm-hmm. called causal invariance, yeah. which I kind of like because it's like basically saying if you imagine two points in time, right? Mm-hmm. Point A and point B. He's saying that 
point A and point B, you can go from A to B, or let's say you go, let's say even you could go like A B, A to B or A to C. He's saying that in his theory, basically, if you have A to B or A to C, even though if you go down A to C, it will still reach to the same end goal as A to B's path. Yeah. So eventually, you can go through all these 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 um you know you can go through all these twists and turns, but eventually you'll get to the same end at the end, the yeah. same answer at the end of the day. Yeah. That's a really kind of really broadly summed up version of it. Maybe we can explain a little You're saying more it's later. Like path independent, like where you get the result. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So in his little nodal hypergraph structure, all the little twists and turns and divergences will end up at the same place eventually. Mm-hmm. So he calls this causal invariance, which is interesting because it means that basically it doesn't matter which pathway you go down. You're always going to end up in the same spot. Yeah. And then to me, that kind of did resonate as like a many worlds kind of deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but even so, I didn't really understand it fully. Yeah, because he, he said he's basically taking the idea from relativity or special relativity and applying it to quantum mechanics. Right. right? Um, well, he's, taking, he's taking the same backbone of causal invariance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Dude, we, we must have read the exact same. Oh, words, maybe huh? so. Because I only read the special relativity in the in the quantum one. Oh, no. I, I read a little bit more about the quantum one just because I was trying to understand what the heck he was trying to say. <laughs> um, <clears throat> okay. And it's just, uh, it, I worry that it doesn't have predictive power. I think, I think it, it obviously still needs more testing. My, yeah. my only, my only concern with this all is that it doesn't, um, how would you say it just, I'm, I'm forgetting my point now. That I okay. Think <laughs> well, let me jump in then. So the, one of the things that I was thinking is you're What's saying it? it needs more testing power and it has lack of predictive predictivity. It looks like it. Yeah. But. I'm thinking it's just like you have it's kind of like a toy you can mm-hmm. play with. It's more less less of a um I guess that is kind of a model though, right? Yeah. But you have to know kind of like you have to I guess play with the toy more. So I guess if people have access to that toy that he has, then maybe you can get something from it. Um because it also sounds like they came to a lot of the, a lot of these conclusions by playing with that model. Yeah. Um so it's just playing with these hypergraph structures and then applying certain rules to them to see what comes out of it. Because this seems like they're retrofitting a bunch of stuff. You see what I'm saying? Like, I get what you're saying. It's not quite, though. It feels okay. a little bit better than that, than retrofitting. Okay. Um, because it is based on this really simple architecture of hypergraphs. Mm-hmm. And just to let me, since I've been using this word so much, I kind of want to think I should define it. Mm-hmm. So hypergraphs are basically like these nodes connected by lines. So you could just imagine really simply... Um, the example they give is like if you imagine a sequence of numbers, you have one, two, three, and four. So one is connected to two, two is connected to three, and two is also connected to four. That would be an example of a hypergraph structure. So one, two, three, and four are nodes, and then they have connections. Mm-hmm. And then what Wolfram does to basically the simple rule is he'll have something where he changes the connection somehow. So instead of going one to two, two to three, and then two to four, he'll change the connection to something else to where maybe three and four are now connected and and some other things can happen. But it's all very basic, simple rules. And then they, he just um, runs this sequence over and over and over and over again until you have this massive hypergraph structure that connects in and back on itself in this three-dimensional, this weird three-dimensional shape thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, so it's very abstract. It's like it's not even clear that this is this is the universe at all. This has anything to do with physics or the universe. But 
that's where I guess Juan and I kind of had the yeah. problem with it because it does seem kind of like retrofitting in the sense that who is to say like there's no real clear way mm-hmm. that he came to the conclusion that these hypergraph structures should be made with the universe but that can that can be okay sometimes mm-hmm. um uh, he just said the assumption that the universe has simple rules therefore i'm going to use a simple hypergraph idea yeah to to make big complex ob- or to make complex things yeah, yeah. S- complex things from simple rules just like the universe seems to be this complex entity from simple rules so that's really the connection that there is yeah yeah no more than that i guess I mean, that's it's kind of a leap, but at the same time, I I guess it's fine though, right? Like, yeah. why not? Right? It's something to explore. Yeah, you're allowed to do that. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like uh, you can almost say it works sometimes. Like, think of how um, Descartes, you know, ascribed the vis vivo, as we talked about in the energy episode. Like they they're literally they were using literal um, uh, uh, sacred arguments like religious arguments that, that God is a perfect entity so he should have this conserved life or living force in the universe mm-hmm. and that's how they came up with the concept of energy essentially yeah, yeah. it was basically a you know a, a mystical answer. yeah a mystical conception and it actually turned out to be something incredibly useful for physics probably one of the most useful concepts in physics yeah so dang it works sometimes. Yeah. I, I can't mean, knock it. <laughs> you can't. I mean, this could be a first approximation to something bigger, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, I just, that's my concern that it's more of a, I mean, a simulation of sorts. And, uh, but I mean, it's fun. I mean, it's cool. It's actually yeah. a really neat idea. And I think, um, I think it probably, I, it'd be interesting. I wonder if, I wonder if it'll take on more of an interpretation role than, uh, than like, an actual discovery role yeah 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 maybe so maybe so because it because yeah. it does it the thing is i worry it's not really clear like what your goal is mm-hmm. when you play with this model of hypergraphs because it's like it's like playing with a toy almost to me it's like a sandbox toy in many ways mm-hmm. like it's not clear like what to me at least i don't really know i'm not an expert of course and yeah. I don't, this isn't my field but it seems like he knew of relativity and he knew of quantum mechanics, so he knew how to manipulate the hypergraph in such a way to yield those things. It's not so clear that you're going to be able to just start from first principles and immediately come up with some way to like connect, let's say, relativity and quantum mechanics. His argument is that you can re- you'd be able to reverse engineer if you get a result, mm. right? Yeah, I, that could I, be interesting. Yeah, because that, okay. that's that's kind of what his argument is from what I've seen. Like, say, if you were to be able to accurately predict a lot of results in quantum mechanics, then then you can just reverse engineer and say, oh, you know, well, this is why. This is this is it. Because mm-hmm. it, it sort of seems right now as a sort of interpretation, interpretation of sorts, um, kind of like, um, what's his name, the, the Everettian sort of approach. Mm-hmm. Uh, <clears throat> That's the many worlds. Yeah, I wonder. I wonder if any. Of, I do wonder if any of this has like is how is this testable in some way? Like, would his findings be well, predictive? You mean predictive? Yeah, or even test testable in some sense? Where it's safe? Safe? He like says, "Oh, it looks like quantum mechanics has is based on maybe two sets of rules." Mm-hmm. 
of iterative rules. And, you know, and then you sort of maybe you got then your job as a theorist is then to think, well, what are these, what could these two possible rules be? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, then you hand this over to the experimentalists and then they <laughs> try to hammer it out. But mm-hmm. that's one of my concerns. I don't know. And and actually, one of the interesting things um, that this whole thing kind of made me think about was uh, obviously quantum mechanics and relativity, but... Um, it had to do more with, uh, I, I wonder why we have such a hard time dealing with, um, or merging these two in, in, in our, in our known physics, like quantum mechanics and, and, uh, general relativity. Yeah. Because. I, I would imagine maybe because relativity has the weirdest, has the weird property that gravity is the bending of space time. Yeah. And then also with quantum mechanics where everything is like a particle and then quantum field theory that extends to fields yeah um well his i'm not sure why that that you know i didn't take qft yeah um and i don't know general relativity at a high enough level to really say what the broken pieces are well like he did say something about how um the presence of energy sort of causes like in his model causes like bends Mm-hmm. So you see the same thing in in his model with general relativity or whatever, and uh, and it and it sort of is analogous to the presence of energy. Still, um, it, it's it makes it makes the system it perturbs the system in some way. I and it made me think a little bit about like why maybe we can't detect maybe even like the theory of like gra- like having gravitons right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it made me think deeper about, like, can we even, can we even begin to, to tear the fabric of like, our sort of the matrix that we're in, <laughs> like, you know what I mean by like experimenting on it. Like, can you really, can you really probe it down to to that level, like, um, to the level of like, let's say, detecting a graviton? Yeah, because I think I think the energies that are posited out there, like to the orders orders that are just right now completely unachievable like we're talking like 20 it's like 10 to the negative 22 or something uh evs or something i don't okay. know something incredibly small or something mm-hmm. I, i'm throwing a number out there that's probably not right but. yeah you better be careful <laughs> when you're throwing out numbers but i'm not a particle physicist so but um yeah i think the fact that gravity is so so weak just makes it so incredibly difficult to do anything with, right? Yeah. Like we, the the we barely just detected gravity waves like what was it two or three years ago or something? No, probably ten. It just seems like that because it our, really ten years probably, ago? probably yeah. No, because right? it, it LIGO happened, LIGO detected uh, it happened during um while we were in graduate school. Oh, okay, okay. Remember because yeah, 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 we were in a oh yeah quantum class. class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's no, it's not five. It's like four. four. Okay, four, okay, four, four, four something years. Dang, once don't make me feel that old, bro. But um, and those gravity waves were literally like two giant black holes or something colliding. Yeah, and they barely just detected it. So it's like to imagine us trying to detect a graviton just seems completely impossible. I know. That's why I was like, it's so crazy. Or at least if it, it ain't gonna happen within a very long time from our deaths <laughs> yeah that, but it, he i don't know uh wolfram I, I was watching an interview where he was like he was like well you know they 
you can think of space as a continuum. And then I was like, well, he's completely, and he even, he even said as much, he's like, you know, physicists thought the graviton, you know, might not exist or doesn't exist or whatever. Well, physicists think the graviton exists, but it, he's like, it doesn't flat out. Uh, He claims it doesn't. Well, he's just like, there's no evidence of it. And he's just like, well, we can think of space. True. Right. Yeah. But (laughs) that's kind of a, I think it helps his theory because his theory is very continuous and there's no discretization of sorts. Right. mm -hmm. There's like, everything is kind of in a continuum. Right. So, it's a little bit of a – there's a disclaimer on that, though, because he's claiming that there's no evidence of gravitons, but it's like if you can't even probe for gravitons, then <laughs> – but I guess you can say because it doesn't really align with any of our theories, there's no place for it, it seems, but – Well, there's a place for it, but it just doesn't – There's no strong evidence, we'll say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. It's just – for me, it's always like – um, you, you always get to those sci-fi scenarios where it's like, oh, you do detect. I wonder if it's like a cascade effect of sorts, if you mm-hmm. detect uh, from those watching like sci-fi movies, where it's like, oh, you have enough energy to like break the fabric of space-time and then you cause a cascade effect and destroy the whole universe. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we're long dead by that happens. <laughs> it's like, oops. And then before you know it, it's like, well, you don't get a chance to say oops. You just, right. you just evaporate into nothing. Hey, at least it's painless. <laughs> And by the way, Juan, do you have the time, man? Because I forgot to start my yeah, clock. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, okay. We're, we're almost at thirty here. All right, well, you just let me know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, but okay. um, but yeah, the um, yeah, it's kind of funny how <laughs> it's just kind of funny how that happens. Like just the catastrophic thinking that certain movies go to. Yeah, things yeah. like this, like the like just scientists. I I don't think scientists have this level of power. I mean, I guess. A lot of those people that make movies now, they probably saw scientists in a bad light because of uh, World well, War II, right? World War One. Yeah, I mean, and these things do happen, right? Like, scientists do fuck up. Look at Chernobyl. Yeah. Look at Fukushima. Look uh-huh. at um, shuttles, space launches. Um, like, scientists, they do mess up sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's like a lot of these things take a whole bunch of things to go right. And people just don't understand the level. People don't really understand when things can or can't go wrong unless you're mm-hmm. really into it yeah. and, d- and deep in that world. Like the LHC, physicists weren't really scared. But of course, some physicists talking to a reporter probably mentioned the fact that the energy scales are on the order of black hole, cr- uh, on the order to create black holes. Yeah. And then a reporter's like, wait a minute. That's where you got movies. You're like- saying you can make black holes? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if I remember correct- correctly, Black, black holes consume everything around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they're like, oh, it'll just evaporate because of Hawking radiation. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, yeah, physicists can make these errors and scientists can make errors, right? And and the general public doesn't understand when the error is a little bit far out yeah. or when it's more close to reality. Yeah, they just hear black hole and they're like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> they're like, you didn't mention that before. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this is, why, this is so. why you guys are stopping us from getting funding and stuff, you know? <laughs> You're not doing your due diligence of you know, communicating it effectively in some way. It can be hard sometimes though, right? Sure. And also some people make may communicate things poorly. Like um, I remember the classic, I don't know if it was a blunder, but I remember one time when some guy was, they found some exoplanet or something that was similar to Earth and they asked some scientists what the probability of it having life on it. And he says 100%. <laughs> 
I'm like, God. It's like when physicists get excited, they say dumb shit sometimes too. And I know the guy was probably just really excited. He's like, 100% there's a probability <laughs> of, of life existing. Yeah. There's 100% a probability that is associated with finding life on that planet. <laughs> I think maybe that's what he meant. Maybe he took it literal. And was just I think like, he was just excited because he found an Earth-like yeah. planet that had water on it that yeah. was relatively our size in the Goldilocks zone. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he said some stupid shit. <laughs> He's like, so, what about, but what about planet Nibiru? What about planet X? <laughs> Is that the 10th planet? Yeah. Eddie Bravo. Yeah. Eddie yeah. Bravo. He's, he's literally got a gym called 10th planet jujitsu. Look it up, folks. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't look it up. Um, you don't want to do any of this. Uh, but yeah, so, so it, it kind of brought, it kind of brought me to a point where um, you would get, I wonder, I, I don't know. Which one is more of a true scientist to you? The what? person who who takes on or tries to test these ideas? Because there's a lot of people in academia that would look at Wolfram's theory and say, ah, like, you know, that's a waste of time. Yeah. But then there's some, that I, I mean, I would probably put myself in this camp if I was an, a paid academic. I would probably investigate this. I'd probably just see if, where it goes. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, where would you lie on this camp? I think I am. I think I can be in both, honestly. Nah, don't don't fence it on this one. Okay, let me think. <laughs> so, what do you mean, though? Do you mean like which? I guess I could. Let me just and make my own interpretation then. Sure. So, what I would do naturally mm-hmm. it depends. Also, since I'm an experimentalist, I probably wouldn't go this route. So, if you're no, talking but- about in real life. I probably wouldn't go this route, but if I was a theorist, I might. Let's just put. Let's just put you. Uh, let's just say you. You don't have risk of losing your job. Would you try to investigate well, something that's not new? A, that's not a factor. It's just mostly a matter of: Am I doing experimental physics or am I doing theoretical physics? Yeah, but as an experimentalist, you can do this. You can. You can. You can. Uh, it's not really useful for an experimental. But would you? Would you want? It's like, not the path I would But go. let's just say that this is a new emerging theory on how to describe the universe. Yeah. Would you investigate it? In a, in a mean, in like uh, w- with some intention of adding, or if you could add to it, because I think I mean this at could this, be at its present state. No, no way. Mm-hmm. It just isn't strong enough in its um, predictive ability. It's not convinced me really at all. There's no real experimental predictions even made, so that'd be as almost like a zero percent chance. I would waste my time on it. Yeah, because I think a good theory for a good theory in general, it it can tell you what it can predict and tell you yeah. what it can't predict. Like Einstein's relativity literally said, like you should be able to observe this much curvature um, around uh, this star due mm-hmm. to gravitational lensing. Like he has clear experiments that you can easily do as an experimentalist. Mm-hmm. It's just like it's so well laid out. It's like oh, like how can I ignore that? Literally, if his theory is wrong or right all falls on this test right here. Mm-hmm. So to me, that's a sign of a strong theory. Mm-hmm. Higgs said that if you can reach these energy scales, you should literally see a particle of this kind of size, this kind of spin, X, Y, and Z. That's a very clear mm-hmm. th- uh, experimental prediction. Mm-hmm. Rolfram's theory is not like this. It's just a pathway towards building more theory on a, you know, I guess it's like it's like a. I guess he's trying to use it as like a roadmap to try to find what the p- p- the potential theory of everything rules, could be. Yeah. The rules, 
but it's yeah, not it's very a, clear. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's like a, a toy symbolic. To me. Yeah, it's like a symbolic roadmap. Yeah, it's extremely abstract. It's yeah, yeah. It's like almost in the highest levels of of abstraction, very far away from experimental realization. Mm-hmm. So, if I was a theorist, I might be interested because then it's like something to play with. It's a toy to play around with. You know, you can mess around with the nodes. It's cool because it's all computational. Like I could definitely see myself getting to that as a theorist. But you know, as a theorist, you can kind of fuck around like that and you know it's not so bad for you it's like you can maybe glean some information from that and if it and even if it's useless you can maybe get some new kind of computational tools or mathematical tools from that and you still kind of win in the long run so you got to yeah. use your time wisely right? i think it's worth investigating though i think a lot of these new kind of propositions this is because we we don't really have a lot to go on right now yeah like, I, I think, think you're right i, I think, think it's, it's definitely useful yeah. And I like computational stuff because mm-hmm. I think one of the big uh, uh, cornerstones of modern day physics is computational. Like I think if you're going to be a modern day physicist, a theoretical physicist, mm-hmm. you should be kind of proficient in programming and using com- computational models. Yeah. Like to me, that's kind of the forefront right now because you know no other era has really been able to use computers at the level that we can use them at. Yeah. So to me, I'm like. If you're not really using computers, you're not really doing things to the highest level you can in theory. Do you think you could build a human human computer? What does that mean? Huh? <laughs> that means you have an army like of radical men. Let's say let's, <laughs> let's say you build let's say a you have man, no, let, let's, say, let's say you have like an army of people. Do you think you could build a computer to do if you tell each person to do a computation? Oh, yeah. In theory, you can build any kind. You can build a computer out of anything if you can have a one or a zero state. So, like a person raising their hand or a lot is a one or zero. Yeah, I wonder back then, like in Egypt, say the engineers needed to do calculations. (laughs) (laughs) Uh oh! Don't let don't let Eddie Bravo hear this podcast. It's going to be a new theory of how they build the pyramids. Yeah, they they build they they use human computers. Yeah, (laughs) to do the calculations. (laughs) They use an army. They used to lay out the army, and then they had the generals do the calculations, and then you know, yeah, so. Yeah, you can literally build a computer out of anything as long as you can make a one or zero state, mm-hmm. right? You can build a computer out of a uh, out of this book. Yeah, where yeah, this yeah. Faces up and this faces oh, down. Yeah? One or oh, zero. yeah, you can. So t- yeah, my wow. hand is the literal input. So you can build a computer out of anything, man. Yeah, it's true. For those for those listening, this is a very rudimentary um, argument on how to build. I guess maybe some people. It's not exactly obvious, is it? It isn't at all. So it took maybe me, we should. Took maybe me we many, should. Many many years it. to understand that. Maybe we should explain it to the listeners because it's like this: <laughs> how to make how to make computations, how to, you know. By the way, I, I feel like algorithm was one of these words when I was coming up. And, and yeah. That that were very vague and ambiguous. Yeah. I think you're right. I think you're right. You still think it's like that? Mm, somewhat, but I think it depends on how deep you are in it. I well, think algorithms kind of clear when you're on the surface of programming and things, but mm-hmm. when you start to get down to like quantum programming and, and you know these kind of things, then it starts to get a little bit okay, ambiguous. Cause, well, because I was going to say algorithm to me is more of a um, it, it's just code. You know what I mean? It's just a line of code, a set of instructions, a set of instructions for it's a recipe. Yeah, a cookbook is an algorithm. Yeah. So just, in some sense. So yeah, we we should have probably done this in the beginning, just to kind of tell people <laughs> what the hell we're talking about. Maybe like algorithm, but like yeah. Um, also talking about computation, like how do you mm. how do you build a computing machine? 
So really, a computer just needs to have some kind of input, I guess, mm-hmm. and then some kind of output. Mm-hmm. And you just need a one or a zero state. You need to have a, at least a binary system. So you need to at least be able to turn something on or it turn something off. It could be like off. black, white, or... Yeah, sure. Yeah. Anything like that. Like, um, and then you have to, I guess you have to be able to build at least arith- arithmetic from that or... Oh, actually, you don't even need to go that far advanced. You can just say, as long as you can build a NAND gate, then you should be able to build an, an arithmetic logic is... unit. A NAND gate would be, and so like an AND system would be this. So if you have a one and a one, for an example, for your state. So let's say I had two books and I had a one and a one state. If I can read that output as a one, then that means that is it. that's one, out, that's one output in the... Um, in the logical rule set. Mm. And then a one and a zero would give me a zero. So they both states have to be the same. I think a zero and zero is also one. So zero, zero in your I book forget, in your book picture would be like no books. Or sure. zero and or one would be one book. book or something. Oh, okay, okay, sure. So I was saying like the cover of the book would be a one. The back would be a zero. Gotcha. So this one, the cover is, so the cover is up and the cover of this one's up and then the back of this one's up. Okay, so but for listeners, yeah, he's just saying to to. But let's just let's just let's make it simple. But let's just imagine like a book. The front is the one, and the back is the zero. Yeah. Like you said, it's a binary system. But so then I know my output is is zero for that. If that's an end right. gate. So, so what do, what do, what do physicists usually use? I guess why do engineers use electronics for that? Okay, so electronics are useful because then you can actually get an immediate then you could actually get a bit for your output, right? So with my system of books, so, or I can get an output, a value output. So with mm-hmm. my system of books, I can see clearly that I have one and a zero, right? Mm-hmm. But there's no output being sent. True. Like there's no, there's nothing that's going to make no it do anything, yeah. right? Um, maybe if I had this attached to something like some kind of Rube, Rube Goldberg machine or something, but generally the nice thing about electricity is Let's say if you can build an actual AND gate instead of an instead of a NAND, a NAND is just the opposite of an AND. It just can't. It's it flips every output bit it's to not the, an uh, the opposite <laughs> one. Yeah, that's what it is. Literally, not AND. Yeah. Um. So with my book system, though, there is no output that actually happens here. Yeah. I need to actually make it have some kind of output mechanism. So let's say if I have like this book here, mm-hmm. and the um and I flipped it mm-hmm. and then a lever pull or something, mm-hmm. <laughs> but with electricity. You can make it when you have your end gate so that you have a one and a zero, you get no current out. But mm-hmm. then when you have a one and a one, you actually have some kind of output current. Um, you know, sometimes I've noticed this. I think they give this example somewhere I read it um, that you have in real life. I've seen in my house. So like you'll have a light switch in your house or a light in your house that has um, that's controlled by two different switches. So when you flip one switch, the light turns on. And then when you flip the other switch, the light turns off. Yeah. That is an example of a, um, shoot, I think it is an exclusive war or something. Damn it. I wish I would have. That's like a, but that's like a circuit. That's like a circuit where they're both sharing the same, um, like one of them is open, one of them is closed. So if one of them is open, the other one is closed and vice versa, right? Yeah, I forget right. what it is exactly because like, it's like if they're both up, 
they can still be all, they can still be off. Yeah. But I can't remember now. I don't want to. I don't want to talk and <laughs> okay, say the wrong com- things because I haven't it. thought about it. I don't think. I don't think we need to complicate. Yeah, it and I don't want to sit here. But that is a, an example of what. That is an example of like a real life, really close to like what a computer can do. Mm-hmm. So it's harder to imagine with the book system. But with that light analogy, if you guys want to just take your time to think, because I don't want to just sit here in thought in, <laughs> on the podcast. But if you guys want to take your time and think about it yeah. on your own, you can see you can write down the logic for that, and you'll see what circuit it is supposed to be. Mm. If you look up logic gates and just match up the um, what is it called the table? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the, the actual name I have no. Yeah, clue. it's called like a um, truth table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can check the truth table and see what circuit logical circuit it oh, is. Oh, I see. Yeah. That's a really close example to what computers are made up of. But, but you computer, can make a computer out of anything. Yeah, they though. take it to the next level where they actually use electricity, right? Yeah. Like, and we those, can hook these books up to levers and strings and whatnot, and yeah. we can still make a computer. Yeah, but mo- modern computers use, like, chipsets, right? So they use, they use like, um, these basically... Um, man, I, I totally blanked on, on the freaking name. Um, what does it look like? No, no, just like the, the silicon, the, the silicon-based uh, MOSFETs. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, well, field Metal effect oxide, transistors. Metal oxide, semiconducting, uh, field, field effect, effect transvi- transistors, transistor. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, have we done Have we done an episode <laughs> on field effect transistors? Probably not. I don't think so. Wow, Maybe we touched upon it, maybe in, like, smartphones or something, but no, I don't think we did not. a full. Okay. But, the, but field effect transistors are the basis for all of our modern technology, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's it's based on this thing where you have um, where you have the the material of of interest, yeah. right? And that serves to, or that has basically the properties necessary for your like like logic gate, essentially. Right. That's so, like the height of what this representation system yeah. that we have, right? Because yeah, it's yeah. like super small, it's yeah. nano nanoscale size, yeah. and it can actually take an input and output electricity on something that's super, super, super small. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you can build that up into an actual computer. Yeah. So the reason why we go smaller too with these processing units is because as a computational machine, you want to pack more processing power, meaning you want to pack more more of the computational units right. in, in one small piece of space. Mm-hmm. So you want a material that's both... Um, that, that that can actually register or have a threshold, have a low enough electricity threshold to process your electric input. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then number two, a material- it's less energy usage. Yeah. So for you, it's like, for realistically, that would be your, your phone having really good battery life because right. the processor doesn't take that much power. Right. Which um, is, I think, why they use ARM processors, which we talked about, I think, in the smartphone episode. Oh, what are the ARM processors? So that's the ones that have like all of the units- in the chip itself. Oh. So like it'll have like the GPS on the chip. The, the GPS? Uh, the GPU you mean? The, no, the GPS. Um, the GPU, right? GPS? The GPU. And then there's a GPS unit, I think, on there, isn't there? Why would the need? Um, well, the I'm GP- saying, I, thought, I think you're saying global positioning. Yeah, system. I am. I am. Oh, you are? Yeah, because there's a GPS? GPS unit that needs to be on the chip. Oh, for the phones. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of processors. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you're right, though, because it's, it's like the chip actually has... The GPU, the GPS unit. Oh, okay, gotcha. Um, all of the the gyroscope, all that stuff on there, whatever it yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was um, thinking about the PC. I was like, why would they need to put it 
a GPS unit on oh, your no, PC. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, because you can already get location from Wi-Fi and you're not going anywhere. <laughs> I know. That's why I was like, what the hell are you talking about? No, so actually, um, but I think there is ARM processors, processors being used in PCs more mm-hmm. now. I think um, a buddy of mine was telling me that, that Apple was switching to ARM now or something. Hmm. Um, I guess it's because people don't really care to have all that stuff separate from the chip now, and it's just easier. Makes and sense. It's good enough, right? But yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you typically go for something that's uh, that has a low threshold for electricity, and then also something that can withstand, uh, or just basically has the properties where it can expel heat efficiently, um, so that so that it doesn't uh, just basically what you call ohmic ohmic heating. Which is like you know mm-hmm. how when you pump current in something, sure, it sure, it heats up and it's linear. You want something that's not linear. You want something that's rather like. It takes you know, a lot to heat it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a specific name for this. Uh, this is why we were talking about aluminum one time. <laughs> oh yeah, remember because we were like, why? Why is aluminum used in everything? Yeah, like why does it not get hot and I can touch it when it <laughs> yeah. comes out of the oven? Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so funny as physicists like where you know about the the property of something, but you don't know the name. <laughs> Right, you know what right, I'm saying? Right, <laughs> we're like hmm. thermal conductivity, I think. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, or like heat capacity or specific yeah, yeah, heat yeah. capacity, mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, but anyway, you well, always forget those confused specific heat and heat capacity because they're almost the same. Yeah, one is extrinsic and one is intrinsic. Yeah, like one has a unit to it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think so that's specific heat, I want to say, because it's specifically... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Intrinsic, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, uh, but yeah, they, all, all this engineering now at, at the at the modern technology level is is the basic concept of this logic gate of like flipping and whatever, doing that. Um, and I, I, you and I used to work with devices too, so yeah, this is some something that I think we're both sort of familiar with yeah, uh, yeah, at a fundamental course. level. So yeah, we're more on the material side. Yeah. Yeah. Our, our overlap in research was pretty similar, I would say. Yeah. 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 Although we did pretty different stuff, but we're still working on the same kind of shit ultimately yeah, in, in the, some ab- ways. In the abstract. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, modern, modern computation, it's, uh, it's loosely based on this whole discussion with Wolfram. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we kind of deviated a little bit. What's our time by the way, Juan? I think we're 50. Yeah, okay, 50. 50. Yeah, but, do you um, want to touch up on Wolfram a little bit at the end now and like yeah, on his relativity? Is, his relativity? Thing? Yeah, so I read his relativity one, which is kind of interesting. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I didn't even... I I read it too, but I, I didn't really... Yeah, so the relativity one actually made a little more sense. Yeah, I didn't see any problems with that it one. Was, it was hard still to understand. What do you because, mean? Because, um, so what he basically did was his hypergraphs were still there once again. Um, and he said that if you imagine, um, instead of hypergraphs, though, they called it strings. So strings, I would imagine, is just like a like the computer version of string, where you have a set of characters. So like he would use the example of like A, B, 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 A or something. That would be a string of characters. Um, and each of those strings, you can perform an, op- an operation on it. So let's say they give an example, um, I think in his paper, of he has a string of like BA, 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 alternating mm-hmm. like 10 times, let's say. So 10 sets of BA, BA, BA. Um, and you can change that BA into AB. So if you imagine a whole row of, of BA, on the next row, you change every BA to AB. And then on that next row, you change all the BAs to, to AB. And eventually, mm-hmm. you're going to get this pyramid structure. Um, we could maybe put a picture on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, you'll get this pyramid structure for every time he changes the BA to AB. 
And then what they do is they make a simplified model that shows that um, this is actually, this is where I get a little bit confused. So um, there's connections between the um, the uh, operation, mm-hmm. so the, the rule. So the rule is when you switch BA to AB. Mm-hmm. So and actually, let me just show you so you can see a picture. So the rule is... is um, oh, I remember this. It's like he's he just makes a basic... Uh, he makes like a, you have like a set of numbers or set of string or set of characters, and then you you have a basic rule where it like even swaps them or something. Yes, yes. So let me try to find it. So it's right here. But so what he does is this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he uh, it, it's it's I didn't. This is why I kind of like I, I kind of glossed over it because it was it was a very. His explanation of special relativity was. I didn't really see any any big headaches from it. It was it was like okay, it's a nice nice little thing. Yeah, but, it was. This was the most understandable one for yeah. me, but it was still not understandable. <laughs> but um, I had it probably like seventy percent. I feel like so. Yeah, so you see the yellow. He has the yellow nodes. I guess are that is the um, and I'm going to try to keep it good for the audio listeners as well. <laughs> so those yellow nodes are the rule. And he connects the yellow nodes with um, blue lines, and those blue lines are apparently the um, the like time between those rules. So if you change one of those BAs to AB, the yellow node is that flip, mm-hmm. and then he connects a yellow node to a yellow node with a blue line, mm-hmm. and then that blue line is the time it takes to do another flip. Yeah. So you can arbitrarily set any point in time to when you do another flip. Gotcha. Um, so then what he does is he calls these, he makes a bunch of lines, which he, which he calls um, foliations. Yeah, I, okay, this is like way too abstract. It's, I'm, I'm trying to get to, the, I'm trying to, get to the, the, the meat and potatoes. Yeah, it's not so bad though. I'm trying to set it up a little bit so I can understand. Oh, okay, okay. So it's like these foliations are just intervals of time. Mm-hmm. So from node to node, let's say if you go from yellow node to yellow node, mm-hmm. then you're going in time. So the vertical axis would be time. Yeah, um, it's kind of like a Minkowski diagram in a lot of ways. I came yeah, to the conclusion kind of because it's like the vertical axis is, is time, yeah, and then the horizontal axis is space. Yeah, he's he's basically recreating these diagrams. Yeah, he basically Minkowski is like re- re- recreating the Minkowski space in some ways. Um, just with a different kind of rule set because it's based on the causal invariance, which is mm-hmm. the whole motivator behind this structure. Um, but then what he's saying is this is kind of an interesting part where he says that if you just go from node to node, then that's this, the equivalent of no change in time. But then if you're actually going somewhere in space, then that's when you have an actual shift. Um, that's when you're actually moving in time. And, and depending you can see on your velocity, yeah, yeah, you can see the yeah. it, it goes from a straight line to a slanted line. Yeah. So if you if if you're a if you're an audio listener, this is basically like a network. So you can look at you can look at your your space and time as like a cone, in a sense, right? He's still okay, taking. You're using the, the Minkowski. Mis- yeah, but he's this part. is sort of analogous to what, yeah. what the what okay. the what the the the. the the Wolfram picture is showing. I don't know it's if like, it's completely analogous, though. This is why no, it tripped but, me up because I'm not sure if it is. Yeah, I know, but this is easier in the sense to for the audio listeners to kind of get. Like, if you imagine like an 
like a square network thing that you're looking at. Let's say look, you're it looking at... might be better a, to keep it in two dimensions as well. Yeah, let's say you're looking at like a checkerboard, right? In front of you. Mm-hmm. You turn it diagonally so that diagonal is like kind of like going out from you, right? This is what we're seeing. I'm trying to describe to the audio listeners what we're seeing here. Okay. But uh, but yeah, it's like you're you're pointing the diagonal edge at your point. So it looks like you have a diamond in front of you. Okay. And this is basically what it's showing you. It's showing that like if you draw a line directly bisecting that, that diamond sort of shape, you're going in a straight. Time is... It's the inertial time, right? This is kind of what he's drawing here. Yeah. And I don't then, know about the description. <laughs> no, but I'm saying like... I think it's that, making it more complicated. No, but that's what he's doing, right? Yeah. Yeah, and then and then like if... Say you're you're deviating from that line, he's kind of saying that you're, you're basically going to change... You're going to have some dilation of sorts where he, he's yeah. basically just describing yeah, like so his picture. So yeah, so he... Basically, to long story short, I think it's going to be very hard to try to describe, especially since we don't really understand it to a full level. Let's just go ahead and just sum it up. The basic thing is he dis- he he derives the gamma that we use for time dilation mm-hmm. or length contraction, which is just one over the square root of one minus beta squared. Yeah, and beta being the velocity over speed of light. Um. So yeah, so it's like a very geometric kind of diagram that he creates yeah. here. Um. To derive, quote unquote, the special relativity constant, which is how he claims that he gets special relativity from this. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I'm not really sure. I really like the whole backbone of causal invariance from this, though, because that kind of gives you something new to play with. And he uses that as well in his quantum derivation as well. So I guess I don't know about his other theories. Like he is another derivation of E equals MC squared. And then even I think he tries to connect space time and um, general relativity. Um but I imagine cause, causal invariance plays a role in those as well. So I guess one of the big takeaways with Wolfram models, Wolfram's model is that these um, hypergraphs have this causal invariant property, which yields these physical models of the universe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's taking like causal invariance as a, as a principle. Yeah. And actually, I don't even know if I could say it yields the physical model of the universe. It just yields models that have this have similar properties to... Yeah, physical models that we already know are true or pretty damn true. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also interesting because, you know, he gets the gamma not using speed of light as an axiom. So his axiom is causal invariance. So for us, usually we use setting the speed of light to be C as the axiom for physics mm-hmm. um, relativity. And then that will give us, um, you know, uh, length, uh, time dilation yeah, yeah, and yeah. length contraction. But this one, he uses just the causal invariant hypergraph structure to actually get that um, gamma. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's kind of already, like I said, it just seems like a lot of, um, like he already knows the answer and he's like making yeah, it yeah, fit yeah. into his little model, his little toy. It's like a, toy it's like a in between. Like, it's kind of like he, he's, it's like a little bit of reverse engineering slash retrofitting fitting with a mixture of like interesting new axioms, specifically the causally invariant axiom. Yeah. Um, so that's why I kind of like it because mm-hmm. it's like it's it's like um, it's kind of like uh, it gives me the same feeling as like a Schrodinger equation. Like Schrodinger literally just made up the Schrodinger equation because he based it around the wave equation, right? Satisfied units. 
No, yeah. he took it out well, of yeah, the wave duality principle. Yeah. He, was like, he yeah, knew yeah. Planck's constant had something to do with something in quantum. <laughs> he knew that the wave equation had something to do with waves. And, you know, he knew that particles had this wave duality, wave particle duality. And he's like, I'm just going to make this equation. And I hope that this is probably right. Let's see what happens. <laughs> yeah. So he did that. You know, as we mentioned earlier, Descartes literally said that there's this V visa living force mm-hmm. that exists in the universe that should be conserved. He did that. And it turned out to be right. Yeah. So you can get away with doing that stuff sometimes. Yeah, this is why, you know, if you're a PhD student and you're actually like trying to investigate or if you're thinking about doing something interesting, your advisor would probably not let you study this at all. Yeah, he wouldn't. I don't be think happy. any advisor would ever <laughs> advise you to stu- to use unless he was already in this field or something. Right, unless yeah. Yeah. Y- yeah. I mean, <laughs> you just um they probably wouldn't be happy because the results Why? The results may not come. <laughs> it just it just seems um, these kind of projects are not for like grad school. That's what I'm saying. Like you, you need to have actual things that are more you, reliably you, yeah. done. You're probably already a professor who has tenure. Yeah, and is probably playing with this and and gathering. You know, maybe deeper principles like you're saying, right. causal invariance. Like, this is why I think like we talk about Eric Weinstein in this podcast. Eric Weinstein had no advisor for his PhD defense. Mm-hmm. And they literally didn't want to give him a PhD because I think he was doing things related to his geometric unity theory of everything. And they're like, what the hell is this kid doing? This is just some random road that nobody knows anything about. So they don't know if he's doing anything properly or not. Yeah. Um, and I mean, mind you, Eric's a smart ass guy, but it's like. Um, but that is kind of a problem, though. Yeah, I get it. Because it's it. like if you're if, if you're an advisor, you're like, dude, um the hell are you talking about yeah <laughs> you know what i mean like, yeah and it's also not really feasible right because then it's like if the advisors have to learn all of you they have to like buy into your religion now like they have to learn all of your terminology all of the discoveries you made it's just not feasible like nobody wants to do all that they need to do something that's more closer to what they are already familiar with yeah yeah and and it's kind of an issue i think this is a problem i didn't know this about eric but maybe this is more indicative of like where his behavior is from, like kind of like it took why it took him so long to propose something. Because yeah, because there's a little bit of like a little bit of a criticism. Um, he's he he doesn't like the criticism, maybe, or he doesn't like to receive. Um, like, I don't think he's got a problem with criticism. Objections and of sorts. I think he doesn't like academic structures in academia. I could see that. He's but, more of a of a outsider guy who likes to do his own thing. Yeah, but like looking at him, like not having a committee because the committee is there to criticize your work in some way well he had a committee but no advisor oh well your advisors there also to to kind of criticize your work in some way yeah so it's like your advisor is also there to lead you down a path a particular path ideally basically you're looking at somebody with experience yeah and that they can guide you through pitfalls or maybe even like logical like um mishaps or something mm-hmm. or maybe even like just, just kind of steer you away from trouble right right um and just to give you guidance yeah but i guess eric felt like Kill he it. was independent enough where he didn't need to do any of that yeah um i get it but at the same time it's like i get both sides i'm like um eric's a smart guy i think it's cool that you can do your own thing but at the same time it's like um any sufficiently advanced theory it's like you have to start learning people's terminology and things and you can't really um, know if they're even bullshit or not until you actually kind of know something about it yourself. Like with Wolfram's theory, 
I had absolutely no conception of what it even meant or anything until I looked into it. Like, I don't know if it's bullshit or not, and the only thing I have to go off is the track record that Wolfram already has. <laughs> um, and you say, oh, it's probably there's something to it, because I know Wolfram is a guy who actually does real things. Yeah. But until you look at it, you really just don't know, right? Mm-hmm. And it's so far out of my area. It's just like... Yeah, because he's another... But this know. is why. This, you're looking at another guy who, like, is coming up with his own set of rules and... Like, yeah terminology and you yeah. co- you're coming into his world yeah you've got to kind of buy into their religion a little bit yeah i would say religion but yeah 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 i call saying. it a religion because it's like when you're starting a new theory it feels almost like a religion at first right because you don't <laughs> even know if it's real oh gotcha you yeah, know it's, yeah. it's not the same as well-established knowledge yeah. well-established knowledge has like 20 different pathways to get to that result gotcha people have fleshed it out at such a level it's so damn convincing you're just like this cannot be wrong yeah, yeah, yeah. but when you have new stuff it's almost yeah. like am i wasting my time because if some it- guy's crazy and he's making some dumb points or if he doesn't look if he's if he misses some critical things about a theory he wasn't aware of yeah. then you just bought into the religion and it's not right this it's is religion essentially because yeah, now it's just that's bunk. true this is a problem with a cult, a cult well this is how cults form right I think the psychology of cults <laughs> is like you build a no, world no I think cults are low level well you build an insular <laughs> you build an insular like world and like oh that's kind of true you create yeah. your own terminology and like rituals and shit yeah yeah um, until people are so invested that they're like well now I can't this, leave yeah like I, th- I this can't be wrong or else I've wasted so much time of my life that you know, rest in peace, string theorists. This is basically. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Basically, right? That's the that's the uh, perfect. Um, what is it called? Yeah, the perfect comparison of yeah. what a scientific cult looks like. <laughs> They've got a Just lot like of useful things that come out of it, but it's yeah. like, yeah, you. If it doesn't pan out, you feel like you're wasting your time. Like the guys who came up with the ether, that guy <laughs> had to waste a bunch of time doing that shit, right? Just People who came up with supersymmetry, yeah, and string theory in that realm, they yeah. might have wasted a bunch of time. It's just the reality of it. It's like you have to explore that stuff, though, sometimes. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, like I said, it, would you investigate it? I, I probably would if I, like I said, if I was a professor and I had free time and I wasn't afraid of getting fired or something, I'd be like, yeah, let's see let's yeah. see where this goes. Maybe maybe study it and then see if there, if it's bullshit or not, right? Yeah. Um, Especially if I was already computational. Yeah. Because then you can just use all your computational systems, and I'm sure Wolfram made it. I mean, I don't know if I'm sure, but I would imagine Wolfram made some kind of easily portable yeah. um, computational engine or system to be able to do this, to yeah. be able to play around with it. I would just refrain, if you're ever, if you're any of you theorists are out there, I would refrain from, if I have a good ass theory, like uh, like from like the guy who proved from Maslow's theorem, right? Yeah. He, uh, Wiles, Andrew. Yeah, Andrew Wiles. He, he spent a decade creating the formalism for it and mm-hmm. everything came out was wrong the first time <laughs> embarrassingly yep. <laughs> held a press conference and, and everything. then made a completely new theory yeah in like what i think a year's time or okay. two or something or two was it two i don't, I don't know. remember it basically was a shorter amount of time but this this is because he had the community helping him mm-hmm. and this is kind of the point of science and and, and discovery you 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 would you advance it you, that's why you you have the peer review process because yeah. it helps move things along quicker, right. helps advance uh, the study a lot quicker. Because if if you're just withdrawing information and you're saying it's not done, it's not perfect, mm-hmm. and it's just like no, you're throwing the idea out there to kind of like 
get some feelers. Maybe some people will latch on to something that is important, right? An important principle, and and carry it to its like logical conclusion, exactly. And then reach a, a an interesting result, right? Science is not done in a vacuum. Yeah, even though it is experimental, but <laughs> <laughs> you need to have. Science is social, despite what many people may think. It is true. Yeah, uh, I have I have friends who are outside of science who say that they're like, "Wow, I didn't I didn't think your field was so social." But I'm like, "Yeah, you interact with, yeah. you discuss and converse and have have arguments with people about certain ideas, and you know, we'll we'll talk about problems mm-hmm. that we're looking at. We're talking about edge cases, things like that. You know, it's it's a lot mm-hmm. more social than you think, or at least that's the whole." thinking process behind it mm-hmm. you're there to solve problems like either yeah. you have an ego and it's just you go at it by yourself or you it can know. be done sometimes but yeah. it's like good luck making your yeah. life more difficult i know <laughs> but it's because we're, we're a lot we're a lot less inclined to be antisocial. i think yeah but, but i mean yeah, yeah I, I say by all means if you're a gregor a gregory perelman type guy <laughs> hey do what you what gotta, do that? what you want to do that's the guy who um figured out the poincare conjecture he literally lives with his mother and just oh. did, just did math for years, yeah. and then solved the Poincaré conjecture with the Navier with some Navier Stokes knowledge or something. Yeah. Props. I'm like, hey man, if that's you, go ahead. Is that the subway guy? No, that was um, a different guy. Uh, he's Chinese, I believe. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> but he, but he, yeah, he. So he solved his working at Subway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the the, the um, prime number sieve. Uh-huh. But that wasn't actually solving a millennial problem. It was just getting closer mm. to the twin primes conjecture, I believe. Amazing. Yeah. But still, yeah, you can, that's, that's, so it is, it is possible. It is. But I'm saying, you know, put your, put your best foot, actually don't put your best foot forward. Just put your foot forward. Yeah. Sometimes. Right. Just see, see if you can give it Two a shot. Two minds are better than one. Yeah. Because like, and like I said, you, you, then you, you run into less problems of criticism because if you just front load everybody with this textbook, here's my theory of everything. Mm-hmm. People are just going to be like, I'm not going to read that. Right. Too long. Didn't read. Like, like what's the guy that solved that apparently solved the ABC conjecture or something. Uh, don't remember. This was a couple years ago. Right? Yeah. Uh, several years ago. Yeah. yeah. Some guy who, who potentially solved the ABC conjecture. I haven't heard anything since, yeah. but it was like this long ass manifesto and people were just oh, like, yeah. Really, bro? We gotta read this. This long is what ass I mean. Shit. This is exactly what I mean. Yeah, there's a level. There's a there's a there's a psychological element to it. Yeah, like nobody wants to waste that much time if your shit's wrong. Nobody wants to read an eighty page paper if your stuff is completely wrong. It's just yeah. like you gotta convince people. Yeah, right. Piecewise, you know, take it. If you make a discovery, let it out at once. And you're just afraid that somebody's going to take your work and make it make it better or something but hey mm-hmm. like you'd be the you'd be the founding person right you know what i mean einstein almost lost general relativity to um him was it was a guy a couple mathematicians yeah i think like two or something hilbert or something hilbert, or, i don't yeah. know i think it was hilbert was it yeah i, th- I feel like I it, was it was like two hilbert. mathematicians that at the time he's like literally like, i'm gonna do this in like two um, like two weeks <laughs> <laughs> and i'd say it was like fuck you <laughs> get this thing finished <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, Einstein even says, embarrassingly enough, that it took him a decade to like... Because he sucked at math. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Einstein sucked at math. He was a physicist, straight up. But all the mathematicians who were fucking... Elites. Like, Ooh, yeah. this is easy. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, dude. I, yeah, I think yeah. he came He came back. Was it over? I forget who it was. But they yeah, came back two wrong. weeks later and they actually made his theory more rigorous with the math. 
Oh, like, it was way better. I can see <laughs> that. And Einstein was like, "Well, shit." Who I cares mean. though? As long as you know Einstein got the credit and the, yeah. and the you know most of the stuff. Yeah, don't let your ego kind of get good. in the way of progress. Okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anyway, what's the time? We're at an hour ten. So with that, folks, uh, you know, we we kind of went all over the place, but mm-hmm. I st- I still think we kept a common thread. Yeah. Along. Mostly Wolfram. Mostly Wolfram. So um so yeah, leave us a comment. Um, stay for the outro. Stay for the outro. Yeah. What's up, guys? Thank you so much for watching. So Thank that was you. a little bit of a longer one. Yeah. But yeah. Not by too much, but nah. Yeah. No, over here, sleepy one over here. You know, <laughs> it's sleepy, a little bit, a little bit dreary. One. I look probably a little sleepy. Hopefully, the color correction will make yeah. your eyes pop a little bit I more. Know. <laughs> I'm gonna have anime. Eyes. Can you put anime eyes? On me? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it might be tough. Might need some yeah. machine learning or something from Wolfram for that one. Konnichiwa. <laughs> but yeah, guys, uh, thanks for watching. Like, subscribe, share, mm-hmm. comment, all that good stuff. Check us out at Eigenbros on Twitter, Eigenbros on Instagram, Eigenbros2 on TikTok, and Eigenbros.com. And we will see you guys next time. Peace.